everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, fellow travelers. I'm Lori Gottlieb. I'm the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and I write the Dear Therapist Advice column for The Atlantic. And I'm Guy Winch. I'm the author of Emotional First Aid, and I write the Dear Guy advice column for TED. And this is Dear Therapists. Each week, we invite you into a session so you can learn more about yourself by hearing how we help other people come to understand themselves better and make changes in their lives. So sit back and welcome to today's session. This week, a mother and daughter find it difficult to reconnect after the mother's years-long struggle with severe depression. My body is so full of her triggers that even now at 35, I'll see something that I know she can't handle and I will have a reaction to it. I think for a lot of my life, I deluded myself into thinking that my depression wasn't impacting you. First, a quick note. Dear Therapist is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical or psychological advice, and is not a substitute for professional healthcare advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, mental health professional, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical or psychological condition. By submitting a letter, you are agreeing to let iHeartMedia use it in part or in full, and we may edit it for length and clarity. In the sessions you'll hear, all names have been changed for the privacy of our fellow travelers. Hey, Guy. Hey, Lori. So what do we have today? So today we have a letter from a mother who's having difficulty with her adult daughter. And we actually asked the mother to see if her daughter would come on with her for this session because we felt that there was a lot going on with the daughter that we would want to hear directly from the daughter herself. And we thought it would be really helpful for the mother to understand her daughter better if she could hear from her in her own words. Right. So here's the letter that we got from the mom. Dear therapists, I have fought depression my whole life. However, I, with my second husband, managed to raise a daughter, Michelle, and she and I were very close, traveling together, texting often, etc. When Michelle had her first child, I cared for him two to three days a week but I was still under a psychiatrist's care for depression, and at one point I was prescribed a new antidepressant. It turned out to be what the commercials warned about, may cause suicidal behavior. I became suicidal and came very close to actually doing it. Michelle was understandably extremely hurt that I would want to leave her and her son. Now it's two years later and I'm doing everything I can to fight my ongoing depression. I've undergone ECT and TMS. I meditate and exercise regularly. Michelle and I attended several joint therapy sessions, which from my perspective seemed to consist of the therapist encouraging my daughter to tell me how much I'd hurt her over and over again. It took every ounce of self-control I had to listen and take in what she was saying and try to understand and apologize. But I did it. And finally, when asked if Michelle felt heard, she said yes. And when asked if she needed anything else from me, she said no. Still, it seems Michelle cannot find it in her heart to forgive me. She explicitly stated that she doesn't want to know anything about my mental health and that my depression was no excuse for my behavior. Michelle will barely speak to me. She had an adorable baby girl four months ago whom I've seen twice. I've asked several times if I could FaceTime with the five-year-old who I dearly miss and have been told she'd try to find a time, and it's happened once. 
She seems to look for fault with everything I do and is not shy about letting me know about my failings in great detail after the fact in long accusatory texts. The kicker is that my daughter is a therapist, but she can't find any compassion for me. Do I keep hitting my head against this brick wall of rejection, hoping for an occasional crumb of a new photo or FaceTime call? Or do I try to maintain my one last little shred of dignity and wait for her to come to me? I love her and I love my grandkids, but I have to love me too. And this is also horribly painful and depressing. Thank you, Carol. When a parent has depression and they're really trying their best to manage it, to treat it, it can still have an impact on their children. And then their children might have very strong feelings about it. So it's one of those that strains both sides and both might have very legitimate, you know, concerns. That's right. And I'm so glad that we're having them both on because I can imagine these conversations from each side where Carol is saying what she said in her letter, that I'm doing everything I can to treat this depression. And when you have depression, it is not your fault. And sometimes it takes lots of different things to treat it. And sometimes you go through different phases where the depression comes back despite the treatment. And so I can imagine Carol's side of this, which we heard. And then I can imagine Michelle's side of this, which is, I understand that you suffer from depression, but it made my childhood and my adulthood very difficult. And it's very difficult for me to tolerate it. So I think both things are going on. And I'm glad we're going to talk to both of them. So let's go ahead and bring them in. You're listening to Dear Therapists from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a quick break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Dear Therapist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Dear Therapists. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I'm Lori Gottlieb. And I'm Guy Winch. And this is Dear Therapists. So hi, Carol. Hi, Michelle. Hello. Hi, Lori. Hi, Guy. Hey, and thank you both for coming on our show. Thank you for having us both. We read Carol's letter and we've heard a little bit about the difficulty between the two of you. And so since we've heard Carol's letter, we wanted to hear from you, Michelle. Can you tell us from your perspective, what is going on between you and your mom right now? What's the difficulty? The difficulty to me, I think I would characterize a little differently than my mom did in her letter. I think in my mind, it's obviously layered and more complicated, but the kind of foundational crux is that we we struggle to resolve conflict. In my experience, my mom is prone to hearing feedback or hearing impact pretty punitively. And so it's hard for me to get what I need if she says or does something that hurts me. It's hard for me to get a healing experience out of that. It's hard for me to resolve that. Can you give us an example of how that plays out in a recent example, perhaps? 
Yeah. So uh, one example that she tapped in the letter was the last time that we were together, I came down with my son, William, and my daughter, Lynn, to spend an afternoon with my mom and her husband. And in the process of that day, she made a, a couple comments, one in particular that hurt my feelings. And I had sort of prepared for our day together with my own therapist who had said, stay focused on the goal. The goal is for William to celebrate his birthday. The goal is for your mom to get to meet Lynn. You know, don't get derailed by something. So I stayed focused when the comments were made. Michelle, can you tell us what the comments were? Yeah, the primary one was that my mom made a joke to Lynn, who's a baby, that she was going to be smarter than William because he was just a dumb boy. And she made that joke a couple of times. And it's a joke that she's made before about William. And we had a conversation then when I kind of reported that that is painful. That's a hurtful joke to me. And so then I came home and I drafted what I thought was a pretty thoughtful text message. Took me a while to write it. I consulted with various trusted others. And I wrote back a kind of, hey, that comment was hurtful. I think it's inappropriate. You can't make jokes about my kid like that. And in her letter, she kind of tapped that as like, I, I seek things for her to have done wrong. And then I respond in these lengthy vitriolic text messages and I think that's kind of an example of like on on my end, I feel like I'm doing a lot of work to come from a fairly clear, you know, a, a position. And then she chastises me as a pattern. So I think that's, you know, over the last couple of years since her intense suicidality, that has to me been the crux of the issue that I think she characterizes the problem as she was suicidal and I haven't managed to forgive her for that. And from my perception of the landscape, the suicidality was obviously sad and troubling and difficult, but it wasn't what frustrated me. It wasn't what triggered me in a conflict way. That was around kind of other pieces that happened during that period. And the therapy we did together was to try and resolve those hurts. And again, even that, it sounds like landed with this kind of punitive, you know, the therapist and I kind of lashing her with her misdeeds. Michelle, there's so much here that's really helpful. We're going to get to a lot of this, but I'm wondering if we can distill this down a little bit. Sounds like what you're saying is we had these conflicts going on and that we characterize what the problem is between us differently. That my mom thinks it's because of the suicidality and what happened around that. But it, for me, it's more about these, the day-to-day -day things that happen between us. And so, Carol, that was a lot to hear. And I'm wondering if we can just take that one little piece of when Michelle said to you, when you say that thing about William... I find it troubling. What happens for you when you hear that? Do you hear that as you've done something wrong, you're not a good grandmother, or are you able to hear it as, I think that it sends a message to my son that I don't think is good for him? How do you hear that from her? In that instance, I'm not sure what Michelle is referring to. It was just you and I and Lynn. William wasn't in the room and you were talking to the baby. And I don't remember what precipitated the comment, but you said, you know, and you're going to be smarter than your brother because he's just a dumb boy. I, I don't disbelieve you. I have absolutely no recollection of saying that. It would have helped if you'd said something at the time. It would have helped if maybe when I asked you what it is that I said that upset you so much that maybe I could have maybe remembered at that time. I... I I didn't get any feedback from you until two days later, and I literally had no idea what you were talking about. I think one of the things that happens between the two of you is that when you give feedback to the other person, and I think it goes both ways, that you both feel very hurt by the other person, that you both hear it as a criticism as opposed to a bid to be closer. And so I think what Michelle is saying to you is, I want to have a closer relationship with you. I want us to feel more at ease when we're together. And that means that I want to be able to say 
that something made me uncomfortable without you being offended by that. I, I want to be able to share my experience with you and have you be able to understand my experience and not hear it as blame. Let's just say for the sake of argument that you did say something like that. Can you understand why that hurt her? Of course, of course. If anybody said anything about her, I would be hurt. As you know, if someone said, criticize my daughter whom I love more than anything, it would hurt and make me angry if at the time I'd been given an opportunity to apologize, I would have, because I had never, ever intended to imply. I'm not doubting that I did it, and I'm sorry. I wouldn't do it intentionally or even knowingly. Carol, there seems to be a difference in how you're responding now than how you responded to the text message that you got about it, albeit a bit later. You mentioned how you experienced that text, but how did you actually respond to it? Was it different than how you're responding now? I responded in, in confusion. I literally didn't know what she was talking about. So I told her I didn't know what she meant and I would need clarification. I think I was ready to apologize if I'd known what I'd done wrong. So things go awry on a pretty common kind of communication between a mother and her daughter. If it happens in things that small, I just wonder how often that happens, that you each walk away thinking the other person perceived or understood something in a way that they actually didn't, and then have a reaction to that. But all the while, you're each making different assumptions about what actually happened. I'm wondering how common you think there might be between the two of you. I would say very common, wouldn't you? I think it happens a lot. <laughs> a lot. I think for me, that has been the signature of the last couple of years is that, you know, we had a hard time recovering relationally from the suicidality. I think in the past, we've had a more functional mechanism for resolving conflict. I wouldn't say it's ever been great, but I would say it's been more functional than it is right now. Why do you think that changed after your mom's suicide attempt? I think that for me, my mom's kind of signature defense to feedback is a kind of collapse into what looks to me like a sort of victimized state. And that since the suicidality, that's much faster to show up that in the past, there's been more resiliency to kind of hear about what's happened to me. And that since then, it's much quicker to go into a kind of overwhelmed. And to be fair, I mean, she received extensive electroconvulsive therapy, and her memory was impacted. And so I think there's a fair, I don't remember. And I don't think I need her to remember so much as I need her to believe me and not kind of believe me, but like actually believe me when I tell her that something has hurt me. And so for the last couple of years, it's felt like our, our machine to resolve these hurts, these miscommunications was broken. And then it's, you know, the hurts then just stack up. And then because of that accumulation of hurts, it's a feedback loop where then I feel broadly wounded by her. I feel broadly unable to resolve conflict with her. Like when I sent that text message, I had little to no hope that I would get a reply that would feel okay to me. I believed I would get what I got, which was, I don't remember. Michelle, how did it feel to get the response that you got right now? I think in one part of me, it felt good to feel acknowledged and to feel like I got what I needed. And I think that I, I would be lying if I didn't say there was a part that just feels like it's a drop in the ocean. I mean, I, I'm wrestling with my own hopelessness around this issue and this relationship. And so even getting what I need in this moment does meet that hopelessness with like, well, maybe now in this context, I can get what I need, but in anything other than a pretty specific set of conditions, I'm not going to be able to get what I need. I'm wondering if we can go a little farther back. 
when you talk about the ocean, I think about the breadth of your relationship with your mom and the history. Were you aware of your mom's depression when you were growing up? And at what point did you become aware of it? And how did the two of you start talking about that? And at what point in your lives? Yeah, I mean, certainly aware of it. I remember now with the vantage point of adulthood, I can remember when it was probably pretty bad. Which is when you were how old? My parents divorced at when I was four. And the memories I have are of like being alone, you know, while my mom was kind of in her room. And I'm guessing I was pretty young. She did a good job and she did a lot of work, I think, to try and parent through it. And I think that depression is very difficult to power through. I think I became more sort of explicitly aware of it probably when I was a teenager. I think we started talking about it more, I'm guessing, as I transitioned into adulthood. But it's it's certainly been a part of the story for a long time, in my mind. Carol, I want to ask you something. Michelle is saying that over the past couple of years, there's been a bit of a change in that previous to that, when she would bring things up to you about things that might have hurt her or upset her, you had a bit more resilience to absorb them and then to be able to respond to them. And she says now you might crumble a bit. And while that's completely understandable, given what you've been through, that it leaves her feeling like it's very, very difficult to bring things up. And I want to ask you whether you noticed a change in how much you're able to hear the things Michelle brings up over the past couple of years. I would frame the whole thing much differently, (laughs) obviously. I feel that since we had my breakdown, I call it, I came very close to committing suicide. I did not commit suicide, but, and I, I did go through all the ECT. I've been through TMS twice and I do get overwhelmed easily as I am now. However, when Michelle and I argue now or talk now, she tells me that she's not interested in hearing my explanations only my apologies. So I feel very stuck in that if I've done something that bothers her, bringing over face masks at the beginning of the pandemic when they were hard to find. After she'd said she didn't want face masks, I brought some over anyway because I'd made some for all my friends and family. And of course, I would make some for the people that I love the most. She was very angry with me bringing over masks, but I'm. she told me she doesn't want to listen that the CDC said this and that that's an explanation, that's an excuse. That's a And any explanation is an excuse for inexcusable behavior, is what she's told me. So I feel very stuck in that I I have no way to respond when she tells me I've done something wrong. I can apologize if I understand what I did and, and believe it was wrong and that I need to apologize. I'm wondering how often you feel you have a clear understanding of what it is specifically that upset her about something. I think you you note very clearly if she gets upset or, or angry with you. I'm wondering how much you are clear about what it is specifically that what was angering about you bringing masks over, even if such and such. In other words, do you ask questions when that happens? Do you say to her, you know, Michelle, I I can see you're upset. I really want to understand it. Could you please help me understand it? Because if I can, I'll try very much not to do that again. But right now I'm a little confused. So indulge me. Could you please explain that to me? Is there a version of that that you try to use when those things happen between you? I think sometimes yes and sometimes no. She was very clear that she was mad at me because I disregarded her, no, I don't want any masks. And that's why she was mad at me. But I wasn't allowed to explain what I felt was a very reasonable thing to do. This reminds me a lot of what happens between couples where People give and receive love in different ways. And you are clearly trying to show her, I love you. I care about you. I want you to stay safe. This is my way of protecting you. And she was saying, but I told you that's not the way that I want to be loved. And when people say, this is the way I want to be loved, and people don't get that kind of love, and instead they get something else, they don't feel loved. And so I think what's very confusing for the person who is giving the love is, wait a minute, I'm giving all this delicious love to my daughter and I'm getting an angry response. This makes no sense to me. 
And so I think what's going on is that sometimes it might be hard to adjust how you give your love to Michelle in a way that she wants to receive it. And to you, it starts to feel like, well, I'm walking on eggshells. I never know what to do. No matter what I do is wrong. But I also think that she's telling you what she wants. Like she said, I don't want you to bring masks. And you did anyway. Now, I know it sounds very trivial. The actual event isn't that significant. But the interaction, the relational piece of it, is a bigger pattern of, can you hear me? Can you see me? Can you understand me? And when you disregard what I've said, even though you thought it was a loving gesture, it feels like you can't see me at all. And so I wonder what happens for you, Carol, when Michelle says, I I don't want you to bring over the masks. I have a feeling you get angry with her too. It was a simple, two weeks earlier, I had said, hey, I'm making masks. Do you want some? She said, no, I don't think we need them. Two weeks go by, CDC says, yes, everybody should wear masks. I'm making tons of masks. I'm dropping them off. It wasn't a, no, don't bring them. It was a, no, I don't think so. So it didn't feel quite as strong. I brought a bunch of other stuff too. I brought cookies for the kids. And the only thing she responded to was the masks. And that was with anger. So yeah, I did feel hurt and angry. When we go back to the ocean, and I'm referring again to the ocean as the the history between the two of you, I think one of the things that happens when you have a family where one of the parents is suffering from depression is that the child often feels like my needs are are not being seen right now. My needs are not being met because my parent isn't able to do that for me right now. And sometimes if that doesn't get worked through later, lots of things start to feel like that that maybe aren't the same thing, but feel like the same thing or reminiscent of the same thing. And so Michelle, maybe someone who didn't grow up with a mother who was suffering from depression and didn't experience that feeling of aloneness, that feeling of, I'm not sure if she sees me, I'm not sure if she hears me, that anytime something like that happens, it becomes very big in your mind. Whereas somebody else might have said, oh, look, she brought over cookies and toys. And yeah, they're a master. I don't really need them, but it's okay. You know, I'm not going to say anything about that because it doesn't bother me so much. Look at all the nice things she brought over. But for you, it was, oh, here's another example of that. And so I think it's important that we talk a little bit about how Carol's depression has impacted the two of you. Because I think, Michelle, it's clear that it was lonely and upsetting and scary. And and we'll hear more about that. But I wonder if, you know, you say you don't want to hear about your mom's experience. And I actually think that it would be helpful. And I don't know if you'll agree to do that here on this call. But my feeling is that if you understood a little bit more about it, that it wouldn't overpower your needs, but it would just be something that would sit side by side with your needs. Are you interested in hearing more about that? I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Michelle, I can tell that you're someone who's actually spent many, many, many hours working on your relationship with your mom without her, in your therapy, in your head, with friends. And you seem to me like you're someone who's done so much of this thinking and so much of that work that you're kind of exhausted and you're not sure whether you have much rope left to make more effort. And so I want us to try and use this time to see if we can have a conversation now that would help you replenish some of those energies and give you a little bit of hope that it's it's a worthwhile expenditure. Is that something you feel that you might be up for? Yeah, I do feel, I feel exhausted to kind of weave into Lori your prompt about what this was like early on, if I can start there. Before you start, Michelle, I just want to say, Carol, whether Michelle can see it or not, Guy and I know that you did everything you could to work through your depression and also be a good mom to Michelle, and that it was incredibly hard. And so if you can hear what Michelle is saying as 
I want to hear what my child's experience was because it will bring me closer to her, not because she's going to dump all her anger and resentment on me, but because I want to try to understand if I were listening as an outsider and I heard this young woman talking about her experience, how would I hear that versus hearing it as her mother? You don't have to agree with her version of events, meaning the content of it. But what you can't argue with is how she feels. Okay. What's important is that you can see that she feels this way and understand this is how she feels. And again, if you are hearing this from somebody else's daughter and not your own, you would probably have a lot of compassion for her. Okay. So let's start there. The memories I have about my mom's depression are less about the kind of typical presentation of depression of being sad or withdrawn or struggling to get out of bed. They have more to do with irritability and a kind of almost explosive withdrawal. Like I would say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And I have a lot of memories of my mom retreating to her room and shutting the door when I had done something wrong. Could you anything specific you could paint a picture for us with? There was a time I remember making some kind of comment about her her appearance and meant it as a like, look at a thing I noticed. I'm so clever. And it offended her. And I remember her getting really angry and like throwing me off of her lap and sort of going to her room and, and shutting the door. I think that the the unifying feeling is needing to be a buffer between my mom and the world. I'm an only child, and I think that my mom, she presents a lot of helplessness and she presents a lot of anger towards the people around her or strangers. I can remember being young and her being offended by strangers that we would encounter, and she would sort of start a confrontation with them, and that being really scary. The feeling of I need to be between the world and my mom or she's not going to be okay. And the caretaking and the managing, the knowing which topics of conversation can't come up, knowing what content imagery she can't tolerate, knowing my body is so full of her triggers that even now at 35, I'll see something that I know she can't handle and I will have a reaction to it. What's an example of that, these triggers? Oh, like strong smells, loud noises, animals being hurt. I, I've had a conversation with any like guy I've ever brought home about the list of things you can't talk about, you can't bring up because she will do this kind of explosive withdrawal. And that fragility is a major part of my childhood and our relationship and my relationship with my stepdad too, that I think he has fully embodied the role of her protector in a way that reinforces the rules about what I'm allowed to be and what I'm allowed to say and who I'm allowed to, you know, he does the same thing. He's bought in. How old were you when your mom married your stepdad? seven when we were married. For me, that's more of the thing is like, not only do I not get to be the kid who gets to be messy and get contained, but I have to contain. I mean, even with the suicidality, one of the triggers was that she didn't have her therapist call her husband. She had her call me to mm. rescue her. So so, uh, Carol, before you shake your head, because I think I saw you shake your head a bit, I'm reminding you of your task right here. And your task to is listen. only, well, no, to listen and to understand. And this is what I want you to do right now. And I'm going to acknowledge that I'm asking you to do something very difficult because I'm sure you have a lot to say about everything Michelle said. But what I think Michelle needs to hear right now is that you understand what that experience was like for her. You can explain what it was about for you but I don't want you to. I want you to just keep that part in your head. What I want you to express is just that you get that from her perspective as a child growing up, feeling as she did, that you understand what her experience is like. And I want you to do that in a way that you can best 
make her feel understood. Could you give that a try, please? Yes, I will. And I apologize for the, I thought I was correcting a misstatement. I think that every time you correct her, she feels like you're not seeing me. The disputing of the facts is always going to happen. So that's not the issue. The main message, if I could put it in one sentence, would be, I have felt this burden of not being able to be the kid as I was growing up because I I always worried about you. I loved you and I resented you because I was so worried about what would trigger you. I wonder how you might respond to her just knowing that was how she felt, whether or not you agree that that was the message that you were sending her. And it has really affected her well into her adulthood. And so I wonder if you could just respond from a place of love right now. I think for a lot of my life, I deluded myself into thinking that my depression wasn't impacting you. But I mean, it makes perfect sense to me that even if I thought I was doing great, you know, taking you to your dance lessons and stuff, I don't remember ever pushing you off my lap. I can't imagine that happening. But I want to stop here because I think this is what happens between the two of you. You were talking about you, and I want you to talk just about Michelle. When you add things like, well, I was taking you to dance lessons, you're trying to say, I wasn't a horrible mom. I tried my best. I was doing these things. And I don't want you to have to feel like you're defending yourself right now because she's not asking you to defend yourself. She's saying, can you see me? And so I think what she's wanting is to know that you took in what she said and that you have some kind of compassion for her without disputing anything she said, but stay with her feeling. What I kind of started to say was that I deluded myself into thinking I had protected you from that, but I know that's not true. And Tell her in which ways it's not true. I would have this explosive, whatever you called it, I didn't... Withdrawal, an explosive withdrawal. I mean, that sounds like something I would do, and I'm, I'm sorry for that. I know a couple of the instances that you were talking about with strangers were bad for you. There were mitigating circumstances, but that's not the point. Okay, wait, hold on. So you're right. That's not the point. And so that's where you guys get tripped up is every time you're able to connect with her, you start to feel shame. And so we want you to just take the shame out of this because I don't think that Michelle is here to say, you were a bad mom. That's not what she's here to say. She's trying to say, Our relationship is impacted by what happened between us. And the reason that I get so upset when I say don't bring the masks and you bring the masks is because of this stuff that hasn't been acknowledged before. And so every time you add a comment, like there were mitigating circumstances or I took her to dance class, you're missing the point that she's making. And I can see on her face, the ex- she talked about the word exhaustion, where she's like, here we go again. And so it's really hard, but if you can just work through this one conversation in a different way, I think it will give you a template for something different to happen between the two of you. And I think that if you can't, you won't be able to make much progress. I don't know how I cannot feel shame that my depression impacted you the way It did. Okay, so Carol, you want to put yourself in Michelle's place as a child, and you want to revisit the experiences that you remember through Michelle's eyes. This is hard because I, for a lot of reasons. There's so much noise in your head about trying to defend yourself. Michelle has not forgotten that you took her to dance class. So if you think about the difference between a raw egg and a hard-boiled egg, When someone is depressed, they're like a raw egg. You drop it, it cracks open. It's that explosive withdrawal that Michelle's talking about. It's about the that very knee-jerk reaction. You get injured very easily because you're like a raw egg. Okay. When you're not feeling so depressed, you're like a hard-boiled egg. You drop it, it might get a little dinged up, but it's not going to crack open like the raw egg. And what Michelle's trying to describe to you is the times when you were like a raw egg. Can you respond to what that must have been like for her? I can try. Michelle, (laughs) I'm just 
I'm very sorry that it was like that for you. Everything that you said sounds completely right. The list of things you'd have to talk to your boyfriends about, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry you had to protect them from me or me from them or however it was. I'm sorry you shouldn't have had to protect me. I should have been protecting you. Yeah, my second husband was and still does do that protecting thing. And that's made it harder for you. I just feel bad that I'm sorry. I wish I could have been the best mom for you that you deserve to have had. I wanted to be the best mom for you. And I know I wasn't. I know that there were hard times for you because of my depression, and I'm very, very sorry for those. Carol, were you aware that Michelle felt throughout so much of her childhood that responsibility to protect you, to buffer, to look out for you and your interactions with the world? No, and that's what's been so weird for me is, is it's been learning just in the last few years. I think, I, as I was saying, I deluded myself thinking that I had kept her safe from that, from my depression. But it's been something that I've lived with, so therefore she has lived with, you know, her whole life. And I like to think, past tense liked, that it wasn't impacting her. And and that's the thing. I, I don't know a situation in which a parent had really significant depression that did not have an impact on their child. And I'm suggesting that going forward after today, the more you become curious about Michelle's experience, the more it'll seem to her that, okay, you're really listening to her now rather than explaining you. I also want to say that at the beginning of this conversation, Carol, you didn't think you could put yourself into that mindset. And what just happened, I'm actually tearing up. I'm going to have to take my glasses off <laughs> because it was so beautiful. Michelle, I don't have the history with your mom, so I think you may have heard it differently than I did. But to me, it was an act of profound courage that it was so hard for her to put aside all of the shame she feels, all of the ways that she did not want to hurt you, and to really be able to let that go and say, wow, I did hurt her, even though that was the last thing I wanted. I hurt Michelle in a lot of ways. I hope that you can let this in a little bit without imagining what's going to happen next or how much you trust it. But to take that experience for what it was, I don't know if your mother has ever said that to you in that particular way. And I'm I'm wondering if that felt different to you in some way. Yeah, I would say it did feel different. And I would say there's a small part that kind of relaxes a little bit when I get to hear that. I'd be overstating it to say that it has a big impact. I think that I'm wrestling with those pieces that don't trust it or that hooked into what landed as undermining statements that were woven in there. I think that the two of you both have these impulses that are very old and very hard to kind of contain right now. Your mom's impulse is to justify why what happened happened. But in that last bit of the conversation, she was so razor focused on you and how sorry she is and how she could see what that was like when you brought your boyfriends over. She acknowledged all of that without qualification. That was her containing that impulse, but also really seeing you. And I think that you have the same thing where you say, well, yes, I, I heard that. And yet your impulse is, but I don't trust it. So you won't let it in. That's your impulse. And you're going to have to contain your impulse if you're going to be able to really connect with her. If you're really going to be able to take in what she's offering. I just want to say it's so hard for me now because you are the most important thing in my life. Like, if I were to do one thing in my life, 
Let me raise a happy person. I want you to be happy and healthy. And when I hear about the things that I have done that have hurt that you know prospect that have hurt you and not helped you, it's just it's the worst thing for me. <laughs> Sorry. Carol, but you have to understand, you see, that the, you can't go back and change those things. But you have immense, immense power right now to do something that's exactly in line with what your aim is to do. You want a happy daughter? You have a power now to help your daughter become happier, at least happier in your relationship with her. And Really, it's simple and straightforward. You have to find a way to really be able to talk about her without talking about depression and talking about her without talking about you. And not all the time, but some of the time. Because when things go wrong, especially between the two of you, it's two seconds before depression comes into the picture on both sides. Michelle's walking on eggshells because she doesn't want to trigger something, and you're trying to explain why you did or didn't or don't remember. You were just accessing the fact that you care about her, and you were working really hard to keep the explanations and the uh, excuses out. So you were able to stay for a little bit with just, just her. And I know that was difficult because you're not used to doing that. But that's what you have the power to offer her going forward. So rather than dwell on the misses. I would love for you to focus on the opportunities you have now. And I think part of doing that is that you're going to need to forgive yourself for what happened in the past. It doesn't matter whether Michelle forgives you for that, but you need to be able to forgive yourself so that you won't keep launching these defenses in these conversations. You're wanting something from her. And she's saying, I don't want you to want those things from me. I spent my whole childhood feeling like you needed things from me that were not mine to give. Michelle, one thing that was very important here is your mom saying that she used to think, she used to hope that she had somehow shielded you miraculously from the depression that really is impossible to shield a child from. But only very recently she realizes she hadn't. That's a very new development. No, you have a mom who acknowledges that it wasn't all fine and is just starting to come to terms with what that actually means and how that actually happened. So with that in mind, I want you to have a slightly different perspective of hopefulness in terms of how much she can hear and how much of a different perspective she might have. Yeah, I think I can lean into opening to the possibility that something new is going to happen. I want to acknowledge my own limitation around that I, my well of compassion is tapped and I do really struggle. I think you named resentment early on and I notice it pop right up. I'm wondering how to sidestep it. Carol, if you can continue to express compassion to that experience Michelle had when she was younger, that's what will fill her well of compassion for you. You have to have it for the child that she was in the reality that she had. And then it fills up for her as an adult a little bit. But that's how that gets fixed. And also we see this a lot with couples who come in where somebody says, I'm just tapped out. I can't have any compassion for you because I felt like I've done that for so many years. And now you have to do this for me. And it doesn't work that way. One person can't do this. It has to be a team effort. I think it's not that I can't feel compassion. It's that I have felt like the messaging has been that I owe her compassion, that the, the compassion is a requirement, that I lead with it at all times. You know, that that was my childhood mentality was I have to always be in her experience and be cutting her slack and be giving her grace and not holding her accountable and not reporting hurts and compassion for mom has had to be the title of the book. Of course I have compassion. And I think that's, you know, it's so easy for me to imagine her as a child herself and what I know she didn't get and what she needed and, you know, 
why she has the limitations I think that she has, you know, why this depression has been so intractable. Like I can tap all of that. It's when it shifts to the interpersonal of like, this is your job is to be compassionate. And I feel like that's where I bump up against something. I think you're confusing feeling genuine compassion with you need to take care of me. Yeah. And so you're going to have to really separate those two things out because they're conflated. Yeah. But they're very different. You talked about her explosive withdrawal. You have an explosive reaction too. You have an explosive withdrawal. You're like, I'm out. (laughs) She couldn't stay there long enough. I'm out. You do the same thing. And so instead of having that explosive withdrawal, you can say, okay, that was as long as she could stay in it right now. And just have some compassion for that experience. Do you see the difference? Yeah, that I feel capable of. It's a feedback loop. We're going to be giving each other different responses. Maybe when she comes over with the masks, I'm going to be able to tell her how I feel about it, but in a different way. Oh, and you also brought cookies and toys. Thank you so much. And mom, I said I didn't want the masks. It really means a lot to me when you hear me and don't bring over the masks. And then Carol, you don't say, oh, but the CDC says, and you say, you're right. I'm sorry. I should have just brought over the cookies and the toys. I'm sorry that I brought over the masks. You guys are done and your day is saved right there. See how different that interaction is? Carol, does that make sense to you too? Yes. A lot of times the reaction is delayed. I'm not trying to lay blame. I'm just explaining why it's harder sometimes. You, you would give the same response, even if you got that in a delay. Your response is still, you know what? After thinking again about what you said, I realized that you have a sensitivity to me not hearing you or listening to you. So that can be annoying. I'm sorry I should have listened and not brought the masks. So, Michelle and Carol, we have some advice for each of you. Carol, here's your task that we'd like you to do this week. We would like you to think of three incidents from Michelle's childhood that you can revisit through fresh eyes in which you are going to try and describe that experience from Michelle's point of view. Three incidents that we haven't spoken about and really give a narrative of what those were like for Michelle from this new perspective you have of, I I wasn't protecting her entirely, and her experience was she was trying to protect me, and what that was like for her to be a child in doing that. Now, we know, Carol, that when you start thinking of Michelle's perspective, the justifications come to you. Your perspective comes in, and you start to see things through your eyes again, rather than through hers, in which you see the depression and the efforts that were required and all of that. We'd like you to put those in, because that's part of your process but we'd like you to really try and focus as much as possible on writing Michelle's perspective for three different incidents so that Michelle's experience is, oh, wow, mom really thought about this from my perspective and kind of got it. When you're done, we want you to go through them and take out all your side of things, Carol, so it just leaves Michelle's side. We would like you to have at the end a document of three narrative incidents that you're describing that when Michelle reads, she'll be able to really feel like, oh, wow, mom is starting to get it. I understand the assignment. I'm just, can I ask Michelle if there are times that she would like me to do this exercise for that would be helpful? Let's uh, have a call a friend lifeline and we'll give you one. So Michelle is the one example that you can give your mom. And I'm guessing that maybe part of the reason that this is hard is because, Michelle, you held it all inside and you haven't really told her a lot of it. Yeah. So if you can give her this lifeline on this one. Yeah, there was a time that we were in the mall. We walked by some people piercing their baby's ears. Okay, I remember, remember that one. this? Mm. I was probably five or six. Okay. And I said something about it. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Michelle, we want you to do kind of the same thing. But one of the things that we really want both of you to be able to do is to hold this idea of both and in your minds. So your mom did some really good mothering and she failed you in other ways. Both and. And I think sometimes it's hard for you, Michelle, to hold the both and in your mind, just as it's hard for your mom. So what we'd like you to do 
just as he's having a hard time getting in touch with both sides of this, we want you to get in touch with both sides of this. And so we want you to write down three things from your childhood, but three times in which she was a really good mother. Three times in which you felt like I felt mothered in the way that I wanted to be. And I wish that I had had more of that. And so what we want you to do, just like we asked your mom, is at first you're going to write them with all of the qualifications. Yes, she drove me to this or she did this or there was this moment when she was really there for me and we had this great conversation. I felt so loved and seen. But then she went into her room. So you can write that the first time with all the qualifications. But after you write that draft of the letter, we want you to take out all the qualifications. And that's going to be the letter that you send to her. And then you're going to leave us a voice memo and you're going to let us know, A, what it was like to write your letter and B, what it was like to receive the letter that you got. And so we really wish you luck and we look forward to hearing how this goes. Thank thank you. Thank you very much for having us on. You're welcome. I think that most parents, to some degree, have a hard time looking at the things that they wish they hadn't done or that they wish they had done differently. But when you layer on a struggle with depression, I think there's even more tendency to want to think that you were able to shield your child from this because you already feel bad enough about what's happening. You already have struggled so much alone in your life. And then to think, and my child's going to be affected by this too, I think sometimes it just becomes overwhelming to contemplate. And I think that because Carol was so convinced that she had successfully done that, to me it's an indication of how much effort she spent trying to do it. And I think that's really an interesting perspective for both of them to keep in mind because she put a lot of effort into that. She thought she was successful, and of course she could not be entirely successful. But she was actually really trying And because it was really hard for her to acknowledge the ways in which Michelle really did struggle with it, Michelle has a hard time acknowledging the ways in which Carol was a good parent, that she can't hold those two things together at the same time. So I think for both of them, it'll be interesting to see how they do this assignment and whether they're able to do the both and of it and then offer the other person the perspective that they've been missing. I am curious too. You're listening to Dear Therapist from iHeartRadio. We'll be back after a short break. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So, Laurie, we heard back from Carol and Michelle, and I'm eager to hear the letters they wrote to one another. Hi, Laurie and Guy. It's Carol reporting back. So, writing my letter to Michelle was difficult, but was also a huge learning opportunity. Like any parent, of course, it's hard for me to look back at times when I caused my child pain. It was terrifying to go back to those times. But I understand that it's important that I try to see those times from Michelle's perspective. She needs to know that I want to understand what it was like for her growing up with a depressed mom. I realize that having compassion for Michelle as a child is key to regaining her trust as an adult. It took a while, but the more I thought about what it was like for her, the more I realized how hard it must have been. 
I can still picture her little face all quiet and scared when I was suddenly angry at her for no reason. I can try to imagine what it was like for her when I was locked away in my bedroom when I was depressed and couldn't face the world. Those memories make me incredibly sad and I very much want to make it up to her if I can. I can tell you that it was a lot more fun reading Michelle's letter to me than writing mine to her. Her letter was gratifying for sure. She started off saying that I had many strengths as a mom and that it wasn't difficult for her to come up with specific incidents. Also, the instances she picked were meaningful and heartwarming to me. They weren't about big vacations or material things. She picked times that I might have chosen myself as examples of good parenting. They were times when she needed her mom and I was there for her. And of course, that felt great to read. I'm hopeful that this will lead to many conversations between us. I feel like we have a lot to talk about. Thank you, Lori and Guy, for having us on. This is Michelle uh, with my reflection on exchanging letters with my mom. Writing the letter didn't feel hard or painful. It felt okay and I felt authentic in what I said. Receiving the letter from my mom has left me feeling some tension and anxiety and some dread. I think I feel anxious that something will be expected of me, like I got something for me and so now maybe something will be expected back. I feel there were parts of the letter that were interesting to me, things I didn't know, information about how I showed up as a kid that was interesting and new to me and I appreciated that. And there were a couple moments in her letter where I felt a part of my body, like a knot in my body, loosen a little. And that makes me feel a little hopeful that she were able to kind of stay with that kind of communication, not all the time, but sometimes, that things could potentially get on a path towards improvement. I was kind of surprised by the impact of her letter and I think I'm still processing it. So those are my thoughts. Thank you very much for all your time and help. We should start by letting people know that we saw the letters that Michelle and Carol sent to one another before they sent them. And Michelle's letter was very sweet and it was very straightforward. It was three incidents from her childhood where she really felt like she had the mother that she wanted. And they were beautiful, sweet, They were meaningful examples of her mother really having her back, really seeing her, really being there for her. Carol's letter was extraordinary. It was written in the first person where she really got into what she imagined Michelle's experience was. Actually, it was a great masterclass in like empathy in that way, in the sense of put yourself in someone else's shoes. And once you're there, you can look around and what do you see? And you really saw her doing that exercise in the writing. It was so detailed. It was so detailed. She painted this vivid picture of Michelle's experience that sounded so much like it reflected what Michelle talked about in the session. So there's a lot there with Carol. And even in her reporting back of what it was like to go through this experience of writing the letter and receiving the letter, she was really able to take ownership of what that experience must have been like for Michelle to have a mother who was going through depression for the bulk of her childhood. The issue, I think, in terms of their responses to the letters has to do with the difference between how Carol and Michelle interacted in our session with what happens when Carol is given an opportunity to sit back and reflect and edit her letter to Michelle and think about what she wants to say on the voice memo. When she can edit out all that pain, then what you're left with is a really empathetic, well-intentioned parent who really wants the best for her daughter and can really understand what her daughter's experience is. But in real life, Carol has a lot of trouble regulating and preventing herself from going to that place. And that's the stuff that Michelle has a really hard time with. The empathy and the compassion for Michelle gets scrambled with the pain she has for her own self. And and Michelle doesn't get the benefit of that pure empathy part. And that's why Michelle used the word dread in her response, because I think that part of her really wants to trust this. And another part of her knows that when we actually talk in person, 
it doesn't go that way. But she did say that there was a part of her where she said, the knot in my stomach loosened and I felt hopeful. And I feel hopeful too that Carol now has the experience of doing the exercise of editing out all of those parts that get in the way of her really connecting with Michelle and for Michelle to be able to say, okay, I can put my toe in the water here. I can get a little bit closer to you. So I think that this exercise gave Carol the practice that she needs and gives Michelle a window into the fact that Carol really does get it when she can put the other stuff aside. If I had one piece of advice for each of them, it would be Carol, try and edit out the self-referential stuff when you're talking about Michelle's experience as hard as you can. And Michelle, if you see your mother do that, even a little bit, reinforce it let her know that you really appreciate that she's stuck with your experience without bringing in hers. If you see incidents of that, even if they're in texts, and maybe texts are a good place to start because Carol can edit in texts. Michelle, if you can reinforce that and bring forth more of that, and Carol, if you can edit and allow more of that to come forth, then there is hope here. Absolutely. I think that sometimes it's so much easier to be able to communicate on paper and what they wrote to each other was so moving. And if they could communicate that way in person, I think that they would see a big change in their relationship. Next week, a young woman tries to break her pattern of seeking out relationships with older, unavailable men. Yeah, I was dependent on him because of my dad and his illness and him dying. And so I came to rely on him and I told him how much I cared about him and how I like grew to love him, I guess I think I said. Hey, fellow travelers. If you're enjoying our podcast each week, don't forget to subscribe for free so that you don't miss any episodes. And please help support Dear Therapists by telling your friends about it and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews really help people to find the show. If you have a dilemma you'd like to discuss with us, big or small, email us at laurieandguy at iheartmedia.com. Our executive producer is Noel Brown. We're produced and edited by Mike Johns, Josh Fisher, and Chris Childs. Our interns are Dorit Corwin and Silver Lifton. Special thanks to Allison Wright and to our podcast fairy godmother, Katie Couric. We can't wait to see you at next week's session. Dear Therapists is a production of iHeartRadio. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 